How's it going, everyone? Um, nice to see you. For those who don't mean, know me, my name is Rob. I'm the leader of the parish here. It's great to see you all. This is the uh, first time that I've spoken at the 11.30 service uh, since my brother passed away. I know that some of you didn't even know my brother Graham, but it was only seven weeks ago that he, he died um, all too soon and all too young. And my hope is that this talk, and some of us here today and some of us will hear it online, I'm not the only one to have experienced loss uh, over the last few months and over the last year or so. There are people in our community that have lost loved ones. And it brings a lot of confusion, a lot of pain, uh, a lot of grieving. And a, a difficult thing for me um, is to grieve in public. Um, when you have a very public role, there's something very private that goes on and how do you discern what should be shared in public and, and what you shouldn't share that should be kept in private. But I'm a church leader and I'm called by God to, to lead. And so if I don't share with the people that I travel with about what God is saying, we could miss something. But my brother's death was probably the most heroic Thing that I've ever experienced in my life. He died as a Christian in great confidence and great boldness and incredible faith. He struggled, he cried, he asked why, uh, but he died a hero. And I've only seen that once before, and that was with my mother, who I also witnessed dying as a Christian. And when I use the word hero, I don't use the word victory, victory or I don't want to paint him as something uh, which he wasn't, but it was a hero filled with humility. And so I don't want to speak about Graham uh, today. I'm processing that privately. Um, his, well, he was priested and the kneeler that he knelt on when he was priesthood um, was also the one that I kneel on every Sunday. So there's a lot of things going on in my heart and I feel I don't want to stand up here and people feel awkward, but, but God is doing something very powerful in my life, both personally but also professionally. And I feel I, I need to share that both here and online because uh, I feel disobedient if I don't. And as a leader of this church, I believe God is taking us in a, a different, a deeper uh, trajectory, um, not changing uh, what has gone before, but bringing us deeper. It's a new season for me. Um, I'm prioritizing space with Jesus. I'm spending time listening. I'm saying no to as much as I can. And I've taken a step back from preaching at the 11.30, and as I say, this is my first time. But in humility, I, I wanted to speak from this passage because it was the passage that I chose for when I was priested um, 12 years ago, and Graham also chose it, and I just felt I wasn't to run away from it, and I was to speak about it because I think it's a very important one for us to hear. And it's Luke 4, 
14 to 21. And I just love you to really open your hearts um, to listen to God's word today as I speak some simple truths, I think, which can be lost in religious circles. My prayer today is that they will be bought afresh in your heart uh, as I speak. So Luke 4, uh, 14 to 21. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee. And a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah were given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. Now this reading is important, probably one of the most important readings in the life of Jesus in his ministry, many of them were very significant, but it was one of the only times that he quoted this much of the Old Testament in his ministry. The only other time was when he was on the cross, when he quoted Psalm 22, Eloi, Eloi, Laba Sabachthani, why have you forsaken me? And so this time is very significant because he quotes from Isaiah 61, uh, which is in the Old Testament. And that Isaiah 61 back in the Old Testament, was a reframing scripture. It was actually something which was saying to the people at the time that you are in a new season and that God is on the move. And so when Jesus stands up and he reads the scroll in his local church, his hometown, just a local lad, he quotes Isaiah 61 and he says, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing is that I am the Son of God and I am the one who will be fulfilling this scripture and reframing everything. And we see that the people were filled with awe and they were amazed uh, by him. But we'll see next week things changed and they wanted to kill him. And the word of God can be challenging, especially when someone from your own hometown gets up and says they're the Son of God. It doesn't go down well. But there are three things which are really important very briefly this morning that I want to speak about on this passage from Luke 4 in this reframing, which I believe is more than just a sermon, 
it's a call to Holy Trinity um, to go deeper. And personally, if you're not even from Holy Trinity, to actually go deeper in your faith. I'm just sick of religion in Ireland. I've just got to a point where I can't do it anymore. I can't go through the motions where the church is just painted as a powerful organization. I'm just done with it. And I'm just getting back to the heart of Jesus. Uh, and I don't want to come across angry, but I want to come across as passionate because Jesus has to be at the center, not religion. So Jesus expresses um, in this section two really important things. He expresses who he is, but he also shows us what is important in faith. The first thing that he expresses about who he is is his identity, in who he sees himself and how he sees himself. So brave of what he did in front of his home crowd. Luke goes to great length in his gospel to explain the heritage of Jesus as the son of Joseph. He says, you know, Jesus' grandfather was this, great-grandfather was that, great-great-grandfather was this, great-grandfather was that, and so on and so forth, finishing with Adam. And he was saying that Joseph is Jesus' father, but all the way back, his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather was Adam. But then Luke adds in one more thing. He says, but Jesus was also the son of God. And this word, son, is so important in the Christian faith, or daughter. It's a word that we miss, we lose in religious contexts, we place in something else in the case of son. Jesus stood up that day as a son, not a teacher, not a healer, not a leader, not a friend, not a pioneer, not a revolutionary. He stood up as a son. And he stood up as a son and knew he knew that his father was pleased with him. The very beginning of the ministry of Jesus, before he did anything, he heard his father say, you're my son and I love you. I love you so much. I love you before you've done anything. I love you. I love you. I love you. And everyone heard it. And religious people struggled with it back then because he wasn't the normal person. He wasn't the way it should be. He was from Nazareth. But he let that percolate into his soul that he was a son. Are you here today if you're a daughter? So Jesus stood up as a son. And then this sonship was tested as it always is. Jesus heard he was a son and he, it said the spirit drove him into the desert and his sonship was tested. Satan said to him, if you do this, you'll be a success. If you do that, you'll be a success. If you do this, you'll be a success. Three things he tested him, but what he was testing ultimately was his sonship. And he was saying, if you want to be a success in the eyes of the world, forget your sonship, forget this idea that it's just about who you are in God. The world wants successes. The world wants powerful leaders. The world wants people who actually will be successful. I'm not knocking success. But Jesus had to learn that success could not be at the center of his life, 
sonship had to be. And so this was tested. And he left the desert and he went in to his hometown and he stood up as a son. His identity as a son, a son of God, which you are, are a daughter of God, loved beyond words loved like no matter what you do in Jesus you are loved so this is the biggest single challenge I think for Western Christians this idea of putting success at the center as opposed to sonship I've done it as a church leader I have done it in many ways I was in corporate life for 10 years and I know the, the drivenness of success. Again, nothing wrong with it, but I know what it's like to be under the cosh of success, that everything you do is measured, everyone expecting everything from you to achieve. But God says, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. I've been reading a book by a guy called Tim Foster, which is all about leadership in a place of sonship and not success. I came across this great quote which says, this cultural analysis, this idea of being a slave to success, is found hidden beneath a multiplicity of symbols and rituals. It's told through the myths found in our books, magazines, films, advertising, blogs, and anecdotes. It is symbolized in fashion, brands, technology, art, music, and architecture. It is ritualized in the practices that govern your everyday week and year. It is embodied in the values, the pronouncements, and lifestyles of your heroes and celebrities. In countless ways and from the earliest age, this cultural narrative is told and absorbed. Tim Foster. And so from the very early age, the world we live in defines us about what we do, not who we are. But Jesus' ministry started with, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And so he stood up in front of his friends and a family, confident in who he was as a son, not judging, not angry, not bitter, but confident in what his father had asked him to do. And he stood up and he read from the scroll. And so many of us never get to that place of standing up because we're afraid of what people think. We're fearful of what will happen if we're really ourselves. So we don't, and we sit. But Jesus actually models this standing up. And that reframes the whole of what it means to be a Christian as a son or someone who's operating out of a different mode. So Jesus holds firm, and he goes to his hometown, and he is confident in being a son. And so the question is, is that really how you operate out in your faith, honestly? Do you operate as a daughter or a son? Do you get up in the morning and say, no matter what happens in the day, no matter how badly my boss treats me, no matter what happens in my marriage, no matter how lost I feel, no matter how much of a failure I am, no matter what I don't do that I want to do, I'm loved. And I'm never, ever alone, never, ever alone. Because that changes what faith is all about. 
that changes a church from being a success-driven entity to a place filled with people who know they are loved in Jesus no matter what. And the reason why churches are empty is because we've operated out of the former and not the latter. And Holy Trinity, I believe, is firmly called to actually get back to the basics of operating as sons and daughters again and calling people into that place in Jesus. So his identity, so important to him and so important to us. The next one is his vision. He said this in Nazareth, his hometown. Nazareth was in the center of a place called Galilee. And Galilee was a very, very Jewish place. It was the place that um, you were able to climb to the top of a mountain, and you were able to see the plains where Joshua would have won his battles. You were able to look out and see where the minor prophets would have succeeded in their battles. You would have been able to look out and see where Rachel was, was called out by God. You were able to see where Abraham went into the desert. You could see all of the landscape. You could see all of the history of what had gone before. And so Nazareth was a center of Judaism, a very strong cultural religious place. And so Jesus goes into the synagogue, this place of religiousness, this place of, of Jewishness, if you like. And he reads out from Luke 4, 18 to 20. And he says, this is fulfilled in, the reading of this is fulfilled in your hearing. But he'll go on to say that this reading of people being freed and the captives being set free, it's not just for you in Nazareth. It's for everyone that's when the story shifts to what Scott will speak next week. It shifts to religious people hating him because he says, it's not just for you, it's for everyone. This is not just for the ones who get it, it's for a whole world. And I've come for everyone. And he tells a story about someone who wasn't a Jew. I'm not, this isn't a Jewish thing, this is a, about religion. He tells the story about someone who was healed, who, was a Jew, who wasn't a Jew, and those who, uh, who didn't get, get healed were the religious ones. And so he's painting this picture, his vision is actually for everyone. And that changes the focus quite considerably for the church when we think about it being for everyone. And so people are welcome here in this space who feel far from God, who are very different to you and me, who, who actually have a different narrative, don't know the vernacular, don't understand what it means to worship, have been beaten by the church, have been burnt out, whatever it is. They actually are so welcome here as sons and daughters. And as they meet Jesus, Jesus grows them and they change and they begin to be in relationship with him. But that's his responsibility. And so the vision of Jesus was well beyond the plains that you could see from Nazareth, it was into the future, a future time when everyone would be welcome to the table. And so his vision is for a place of sonship, but for all people. And then lastly, his heart, which is one I want to finish on today. Jesus reads out from Isaiah 61, which is this reframing which I taught about. And he says, let me read it just very briefly one more time. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stops there. The original Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because he has anointed me to, and sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But there's one bit of the line. And the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus leaves out that line. He finishes with the year of favor. Often churches and community groups that are religiously involved, they operate out of a place of, of almost vengeance. And they paint God as a God who is angry and a God who is filled with wrath and a God who doesn't see you as a son, but he sees you as just an object to fulfill his mission. It's vengeance. And now I'm not discounting the importance of there is sin and there is a need for Jesus on the cross. I'm not discounting that. But God is a God of favor. And Jesus was standing up and says, I am here to proclaim a year of the Lord's favor, not of vengeance. And that's when things got pretty messy because in the Old Testament there was a mode of... Uh, under the law through vengeance, whereas Jesus reframes it and said, this is about favor and compassion. So Jesus is essentially, in these three things, he is saying, God is a father with compassion for all. And that is a very important message for me and for you, because it's to change your life. If you see God like that as a father with compassion, not vengeance for all. And so I'm in this season. That's why I'm up praying up the front. I'm just going against the rules in the traditional service. I'm coming down and I'm, I'm just being myself. And I'm being who I'm meant to be. Not in a way to make people feel awkward or to make you feel uh, in any way that this is something that's just about me, it's about us. And I'm in a season, folks, and I want us to be in a season where we're just who we're meant to be. And I want to invite you into that season with all of my heart. Because when you, you see someone pass away who just gives it all to God, and this is more than my personal grief, I'm not getting into my personal story, but when you see someone who actually does it all for God's glory, no matter what anyone thinks about them. He just say, I'm still living. I'm going to live the rest of my life all for his glory. And so that's just not for me. When you hear that, please don't hear that. Rob's lost his brother. He's grieving. I am grieving deeply. This is a prophetic word for us. Please be yourself in this season. Please just go mad. <laughs> just be, let's be a community that actually busies ourselves in this next season. Because heretofore, I think we haven't. And I think it's a new season of the year of the Lord's favor. And I say that the best that I can um, 
as humbly as I can in my hometown um, to invite us in to this season. So I'd love us to just pray, and we're going to finish uh, with a song. So if the guys want to get back up, um, I'd just love us to listen to what God is saying.